This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. You have to look pretty hard for this story, even though this story probably should be headlines all over the place. Found it at Crux, talking the Catholic polls, kind of inside Catholic news. German Catholics plan huge blessing of gay unions on May 10. It even quotes from a German bishop who says there will be no ecclesial consequences to priests who take part in these same-sex union blessings. Why is this not bigger news? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. Why did I eventually have to go to Get Religion to read more (laughs) about this German Catholic bishop not himself blessing gay unions, but he's letting others do it with no consequences from him. It's it's a part of one of the oldest puzzles in, in the world of journalism that's so hard to explain to the public. And it's something that every couple of months I get a bee in my bonnet, you know, to use a Texas phrase, and I, I, I write about this. It's very hard to explain to people sometimes why certain stories are big news and other stories are not big news. Why one event will get gavel-to-gavel coverage and then something else will get no coverage at all. I remember years ago when I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, working for the Charlotte Observer, a local megachurch pastor, a huge church, called me up and ask a very simple question. He said, you wrote a story the other day about a controversy about the changing of one window in a downtown Episcopal church. And, you know, got this big story with art and all this. And my church just built, you know, a multi-million dollar addition to our church, you know, that shows how much we're growing and what's going on out here. Why is our multi-million dollar building not a story when they change one window at a downtown Episcopal church and it's it's in the paper? It's a really good question. You know, and I tried to explain to him that, well, first of all, journalists tend to think that anything that happens downtown is news and anything that happens in the suburbs isn't. It helped that the Episcopal church was a historic building, a historic site. So changing the window involves some degree of legality. And it didn't hurt at all that there was a prominent editor at the paper who was a member of the Episcopal Church there and knew all about this. So he was an easy sell. Meanwhile, the suburban church is the sort of church that only gets in the news when they do something political, specifically right wing, uh, like hold a rally for Ronald Reagan or someone like that. So he said, so what you're telling me is this is essentially political. And I said, no, there are other factors there, but sometimes it's hard not to see signs of bias. I wrote a piece today at Get Religion about the fact that we have another Coptic martyr by ISIS in Egypt in a very high-profile thing. It's getting some press across the Middle East. But it fits this pattern that I've seen for years, and we've seen it in Nigeria and a whole lot of other places where persecution of Christians and other religious minorities has somehow become 
a conservative news subject. It's the sort of thing that you'll see in the Daily Mail, you'll see it in the New York Post, you'll see it at Christianity Today, but you won't see it anywhere else. So this brings us to this, this story in Germany and kind of what my suspicions are about it. First of all, kudos to Crux for covering this. I've also noticed stories on this topic kind of tangentially in the Catholic News Agency. And then most importantly, it's been talked about very openly at a, at a place called New Ways Ministry, which is like the cutting-edge liberal Catholic ministry, has been for decades, ever since the 80s, on issues of gay rights and LGBTQ rights now inside the Catholic Church. And they're talking about this openly. And I guarantee you this is a website that journalists follow. I mean, this is the voice of the Catholic left in America on this issue. So the question is, if there's going to be a big same-sex union blessing service in Germany on May 10, and notice it's singular, a blessing service. What I had been reading about earlier was a day in which there were going to be lots of, they were planning someday uh, a day when there'd be lots of rights all over Germany. That doesn't appear what this is, which is interesting in and of itself. And this is clearly a rejection. This is something you and I talked about recently, of that Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith statement that came out that was a very clear reaffirmation of the Catholic Catechism teaching on sexuality outside of marriage and you know and related issues that got a ton of press coverage really lit the place up then francis pope francis did a statement that some on the left interpreted as kind of like shooting down that report like maybe maybe he didn't want to clash with germany so this is in the news and the simple question is why isn't this planned same-sex union blessing service in the Roman Catholic Church, not a splinter church, not Episcopalians, not somebody else, real live Roman Catholic priests. And I flash back also to a couple of weeks ago, it seems there were about 300 priests, I believe in Germany and Austria, who had signed a petition saying they opposed the Catholic policies on this. But here's the key. Other than this one bishop who's saying, I'm not going to discipline my priests if they take part. No names at this point. This brings me to my suspicion here. My suspicion is that this isn't a story right now because there are journalists who have agreements with the planners of this service not to make it a story until it's happened. Because if it got too much publicity, that would turn up the heat, that might lead to Rome cracking down, that might lead to conservative German cardinals cracking down. So at this point, it's not in the interest of the cause to publicize the event, and it's certainly not in the interest of the cause to name names. Who's involved in this? Who's planning it? Who's writing the liturgy? All of these things that you would want to know. Were there plans for a wider 
day of services all over the country, and now for safety's sake, it's turned into one event, maybe only with priests whose bishops have said, I'm not going to discipline you. In other words, is there controversy already behind the scenes? All of this is big, big news, and it's not being covered. The one name that does appear, and he is quoted quite extensively in the crux, is Bishop Franz Joseph Overbeck, the one who says priests of his diocese will face no canonical consequences if they decide to bless gay and lesbian couples as part of this event. By the way, the event's called Love Wins, Blessing Service for Mm -hmm. Lovers. I would think someone standing up to the Vatican that wears a bishop's mitre alone would be newsworthy any day of the week. Well, and you had other bishops, most notably a Bishop Johann Bonny of Antwerp, not in Germany, but there elsewhere in Europe. And this was a man who was named to represent Belgium in the Vatican's Conference on the Marriage and the Family a couple of years ago. So this is someone with ties to the Vatican on this issue, and he openly rejected, said it was embarrassing, the statement from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. So there are other bishops, but now let's get into legalities here. Stop and think about this for a second. If the bishop doesn't take part in the service, he hasn't violated the canons of the Catholic Church. And if his priests take part, but they're not named, and he doesn't discipline them, he hasn't clearly violated the canons of the Catholic Church. Or even if he has priests who participate and they do use their names, and he says, I'm not going to discipline them, A, because I'm going to talk to them about it and ask whether this was wise, blah, blah, blah. We're going to dialogue about this. Or maybe he says, right now, under the German bishop's synodal process, that's a magic term right now, it's a magic wand you can wave in the air, and you can talk about anything. You can talk about ordaining women. You can talk about redefining marriage. You can talk about all kinds of stuff. And it's all a part of the German bishop's synodal process. And this is something that our Richard Osling wrote a post about that we published today, that this German situation is really heating up. So my question is, at this stage of the game, Journalists should be covering this. They should be asking these questions. They should be trying to find out. But what if you know who's planning it and you've agreed not to publicize it? You have an agreement with the participants. Let's say that you even know where it's going to be because you're planning on having photography or video or you're going to cover the event live when it occurs. So you know where it is, you probably know who's doing it, but if you were to publicize that now, it might, key phrase here, it might hurt the cause. And so this is my question. If if I were active in Catholic life, if I was a Catholic layperson and I was paying really close attention to this, or if I was a Catholic conservative bishop, and I was watching this, I'd be saying, 
where is the press coverage of this event? And why aren't we learning the details about it? And thus, in the background, why isn't this a story? Why isn't this a story worth mainstream coverage? Why isn't this, quite frankly, why isn't this on the front page of the New York Times? Why isn't it on National Public Radio? Why isn't it on the major networks even? I mean, the word schism is beginning to be used. Will the German bishops push this to the point that they, in effect, become, maybe even with the Vatican ruling on this, where they become the equivalent of liberal Protestants? They become liberal Lutherans, so to speak, in Germany. And we have this very dramatic scene, huge story. Why aren't we reading the details of the planning for this May 10 event? Terry, if the media covers this event, this mass blessing of of same-sex unions, will they be forced to get Pope Francis's reaction, and do they want to? Well, they would be in a position where they'd certainly need to know what other bishops said about this. I don't. You just can't call the Pope up, you know, for the most part, you know, and just say I've got a question here. But you'd be wanting reaction primarily from people on the other side of the issue. And to some degree, that's like rattling the chains of the enemy of the event. And in fact, that's exactly what you would be doing. So if you called conservative bishops in Germany, or you called major bishops in America, and you asked about this, in effect, once again, you're creating fire. And fire ahead of the event could actually end up hurting or affecting the event. Does that make sense? So are there other examples of this kind of syndrome that you found recently? Oh, just like I said earlier, these sorts of things bother me all the time. When I heard about this one, I I flashed back to something in my mind from long ago, a decade ago almost, in which the Baltimore Sun covered an extra-legal ordination of women priests, of, of women who wanted to claim to be Catholic priests, and the coverage actually included a fascinating story. And let me just read. I, I can find that for you real quick. The church was filled with family members, including husbands of three of the ordinance, and friends, including some who were employed by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, but who support the ordination of women. Photography was limited to protect the privacy of those attending the ceremony. So the Baltimore Sun covered the event, but agreed not to take photographs of the congregation because that would hurt liberal Catholics in the Baltimore Archdiocese who were there in direct violation of the teachings of their church or the policies of their local archbishop, etc. Isn't that interesting? I mean, can you imagine the circumstances under which journalists would limit their coverage of an event. So this is not a direct parallel, but it's another example of this question of when is something a story and when is it not a story? And this one, I mean, we've had dozens of stories that we've critiqued through the years at Get Religion concerning what is happening in Hong Kong. 
and specifically whether what's happening in Hong Kong is strictly a political story or an economic story. Well, now we've got something going on that I noticed this because I follow on Twitter some conservative Catholic sources. And then Sandro Magister is the name of a very independent journalist who does all kinds of interesting stuff and in the Italian press uh, at a website called La Espresso. And he noted something that big story, it's gotten some coverage from AP, and even now a story from the New York Times, which is that the government of China is starting to lock up and keep locked up some very key figures in the protest movement in Hong Kong. And Martin Lee, who's frequently called the father of Hong Kong democracy, you have one of the most powerful journalists in all of Asia, Jimmy Lai, a man I had a chance to meet two decades or so ago at, at an event linked to the handover of Hong Kong to China. You have a, a Catholic intellectual, Margaret, and I don't know how to pronounce a, a Chinese name that's just N-G, Ning, perhaps, another Catholic. These people are being jailed. And even another man who is an Anglican, but his wife is Catholic and he attends a Catholic church, and he is a parliamentarian and a powerful trade unionist. And certainly his functioning, the way he functions in Hong Kong, is as a part of the Catholic community. What's fascinating is the coverage of these people being jailed. No one's mentioning that they're all Catholics or that they are a part of an activist network that's explicitly Catholic and explicitly Christian. And this follows on the heels of the fact that during some of the biggest demonstration of a year or so ago, our own Julia Dean did a lot of coverage noting that some of the songs that were being sung at these marches as they marched through Hong Kong, you know, with hundreds of thousands of people in protest of the Chinese government policies, they were singing praise and worship songs, including some that were very popular with charismatic Roman Catholics as well as charismatic Protestants. And you had these people singing, and, and the, the stories would all say they marched through the city singing, but it would never mention what the songs were or what the lyrics of the songs were, or why were these people singing Christian hymns as they marched in defiance of the Chinese government through downtown Hong Kong. So here's another angle of a story, or in this case, the these people are being arrested. It's getting some coverage, but the religion element of the story is somehow not being covered for reasons that, again, I find mysterious, with the possible exception that if you started asking, why is the Chinese government arresting Catholics and putting Catholic human rights activists in jail, you'd end up having to talk to Catholics, Catholic leaders about it. And that's a controversy right now because of the relationship somewhat improved, but controversial relationship between the Vatican and the Chinese government in which the Vatican has granted the Chinese government very strong powers in helping determine or determining who is a bishop in China and who is not. So once again, a story that is a major story, except that it isn't a story. And it's very hard to explain to people why 
the religion elements of these stories and why certain stories just don't make it into print. And in this case, you know, we've had this term, it get religion, ever since we founded, that it, this story is haunted by a religion ghost. Well, with the story of the same-sex marriage right, it's just a story that isn't getting into press, and I want to know why. In Hong Kong, it's a key element of a huge story that isn't making it into press, and I'm really struggling to figure out why. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He is author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thank you for your time. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.